Have you ever had that moment where you're on the verge of doing something and you know once you take that step, it will be kind of an irreversible position? Maybe you were beginning to take a, a walk across uh, an ice, looks like an ice-covered uh, stream or something like that. Or maybe you're about to make that proposal that will absolutely change your life. You're going to get down on your knees and say, will you marry me? And there's that moment of, 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 of great sense of, uh-oh, this is a big deal. It kind of reminds me, and maybe some of you can identify with this, reminds me of that moment of getting on the ski lift in, uh, let's see, where was it, in Utah, and getting up to the top of the mountain and finally getting off of the lift and falling down and then standing there at the top of the, the run looking and thinking, do I really want to do this? Anybody ever had an experience like that? I mean, it's that, it's that moment, you know, where your heart's beating a little bit and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to do this and it may not be good for me physically, but I'm going to try and give my best shot. There are moments in life that define us, moments of commitment. Just this past week, I was having a number of episodes of commitment. I was having trouble because I had a car window, electric car window, and it quit working, and so I'm thinking to myself, I can do this. I know I can do this. I can, I can take this thing, the whole thing apart. And, and, and here I am working on my car and I'm, I'm sticking the, the tools in and I'm beginning to pry it and it's beginning to pop. And I'm thinking, do I really want to do this? Yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fix it myself. And before it was over with, my car window was out of the car. And, uh, I mean, it fell out, okay? So, <laughs> maybe, anybody want to laugh at that? It's funny. I'm working on it, and I've made the commitment, and it's happened, and now I'm like, okay, I'm still going to fix it. So, I can just tell you that my car right now has a car cover on it, and uh, it's not in use right now, but it will be. It will be, eventually. There's something so important about understanding the commitment to a process to a relationship, to a goal, an endeavor, and you get to that place to where, okay, this is it. I'm going to do it. You know, commitments to God are always at least twofold. There's the commitment to the Lord because you... You know that if there's anyone in this world that would be willing to save you from your sins and help you know God, the Creator, it must be Jesus Christ. He's the only one. I mean, you can look at all the different religions of the world and all the different religious leaders and you'll never find one like Jesus. One who promised to take care of our sin and one who rose from the dead. You'll never find one like him. He's the, really the only one. But the commitment to him is that commitment to receive him. And then the second commitment that is crucial for a Christian to make is the commitment to the body of Christ. That is the church. The local body of believers. I've got to tell you something. You know, we've been talking a lot this Christmas season about the gifts of God to us. What he's done for us and what he promised to do in Messiah. 
You know, he's, he's opened, he's given, he's given sight to the blind. Uh, the gospel has been preached freely and, and given to those of all stratas of society. The promise of Messiah was that he would heal the brokenhearted. And, and God has done all of these amazing things and is doing all of these amazing things through our Messiah. But the question is, how do we respond to him? God is so gracious and he's called us to respond to his offer of grace. And this morning I want to talk to you about the response of commitment to him through the local body of believers. Now as we look at this passage of scripture this morning, which is going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to understand that uh, we're talking about God's gifts to us, but then our gifts back to God. And one of the first gifts that you can make is that gift to the local body of believers with your life. It's a commitment to be a part of what God is doing in the local church and for your ministry to be expanded in the church and outside the church. And as the Apostle Paul writes to this uh, group of believers in the city of Ephesus, who's, they're having a little bit of difficulty. Uh, Timothy is the pastor there in Ephesus, and, and he's trying to get them to understand that God has taken them right where they are. I mean, the, the scripture tells us that God has assigned to each of us the number of years we are to live, and he's also assigned for us the boundary of our habitation. And what that means is that your life is no accident. I, I mean, God, God with loving care. The Bible says that God knew you when you were in the womb of your mother. And by the way, not your father. Men don't have wombs, okay? <laughs> I just want to be sure that we understand that today. And I know you understand it, but some seem to be confused about that. But the Bible tells us in the book of Jeremiah that God knew you, that he formed you, and that he set your life up. And, and though we may not always have a pleasant habitation and things may not always be easy, we can know one thing's for sure, and that is that God is around us and he is with us, and that he has a great plan for our lives. But God expects some things in return, and that is a commitment from each of us to him and to his people. So I want to talk with you about that this morning, and let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to ask if you would to stand with me as we read God's word. Ephesians Chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1. Paul says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's stop right there. Would you pray with me? Lord, please help us to understand the truth of your word, to understand it in our minds and to understand it in our hearts. 
And we pray, O oh God, that you'll guide and direct us and help us, Lord God, to receive the truth that you have for us. Father, give us the grace to repent of those things that we need to repent of, whether it's a, a bad, sinful decision or a bad, sinful attitude or, Lord God, just, uh, just whatever the, the feelings that may be destroying our joy in you, we pray you'll help us not to be confused by an attack of the enemy and the conviction of your Holy Spirit, but Lord, that you'll lead and guide us to that place where we truly find rest and joy in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. As we look at God's Word this morning, I want you to understand that, uh, that there's a very critical and important reason, and it's found in verse number one, for us to, to, to not only love God, but to love the people of God. It's interesting, when you look at this passage, the Apostle Paul speaks with the authority of a servant of the Lord. This is why he says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. He's emphasizing the fact that he's a servant of God. He's a slave of God, if you want to use the right word there. He is a prisoner for the Lord. And he doesn't say this in a begrudging manner. He says it in a positive way. I, Because he wants them to understand this word is coming from God. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, obviously, this phrase, obviously, it is a phrase that urges us to live the kind of life that we have been called to live. You, if you're a believer, are son, a son or a daughter of the king. I want you to understand that. God has, God has you in an exalted position, so to speak. You are special to Him. You are, you are a child of God. You are an heir of the, of the grace and the mercy and the riches and the glory of God's kingdom. And right now, though your hair is turning gray and your wrinkles are getting deeper and there are aches and pains all over your life or you've got this trouble or that trouble or whatever it may be, I want you to understand that in Christ you're a conqueror and the Bible says one day you'll realize that incredible glorification. And we understand that's what this passage teaches, that we ought to live a worthy life. We ought, to, we ought to live up to that which we have already attained is another way that he says it. But what I want to emphasize this morning is a word that is in verse 1 and it is repeated twice. The word is calling. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. One reason why it is so important for us as believers to commit ourselves to the people of God is because they, like many of us, have heard the sacred summons. They heard the, the summons of God in their life. There was a time when the cold desperation of a dead heart was warmed with the joy of God. Jesus is prophesied as one who will take a cold stone heart and give people a heart of flesh. 
you can't duplicate this in yourself. And one reason why it's important for us to be connected with the local body of believers and to commit ourselves not just to God, but to commit ourselves to them is because these are people who have heard the sacred summings, the call from on high, and they've made a commitment because of who they are. This is about their identity in Christ. And when you look at one another this morning or whenever it is that you're participating in this worship service, I want you to know that though God's people are often rough around the edges. And though God's people say things sometimes that are just plain out crazy and irresponsible, and though God's people don't live up to the standard that they place on everyone else, though God's people are not perfect, they have heard the calling of God for salvation on their lives. The Holy Spirit has spoken to them. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone right now. I don't know. (laughs) But don't take this for granted. Don't miss this. Your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, they may not be perfect, but they are blessed with the grace of God. And somehow, in the mercy of God, their heart opened up to Him. They're a special group of people. They're not like the rest of the people in the world. Now, there are many believers in the world today, many followers of Christ, and, and many people have been born again, but the majority, the vast majority of the world's population is not born again. And, and Jesus made it so plain. He, he said that the, the, the road is narrow, and there are few that find it. But praise God that there are some of us by the mercy of God who heard him and responded by faith and trusted in him. And I want you to understand, and I say this fervently, and I don't want to be too out of too too crazy or I mean, you know what I'm saying. I don't want to get too dramatic, but what I'm saying is the people of God are unique and special because they, like many of you, have heard God say, I want you. Receive me. They know the blessing of being able to say, Abba, Daddy, Heavenly Father. They have the assurance in their heart that that God is with them and that His Spirit is bearing witness with their spirit that they are the children of God. They're a unique group. And, And we need to commit ourselves to that group of people because they have been they have responded. Now, unfortunately, not everybody's going to be just like you. And there are going to be some differences. But that's okay. The main thing is the main thing. That they belong to Him. And you know, when you make that commitment to be a part of the kingdom of God, then you can testify like John, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have touched with our hands, that which we have heard in our ears, we have experienced him, and we proclaim him to you. I want to encourage you this new year, and happy new year, by the way, I want to encourage you to make a fresh commitment to the body of Christ, to the people of God. Because commitment to him is always a dual commitment. It's to him and to his people. 
And so the Bible tells us that we ought to recognize that calling. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. When God saved you, he did not save you to be a solitary, single Christian. He called you to be a part of the body of Christ. And we're going to talk more about that. We're going to get into the spiritual gift angle. And, but we're talking about the gifts that we give back to God. And that gift has to do with commitment, first of all. A number of years ago, I was, uh, I was on a backpacking trip with my buddy Stuart. And uh, we were, uh, I think we were somewhere in, maybe it was in Virginia. I, I'm not sure exactly now. I can't remember. I think it was in Virginia. And we came upon this beaver dam that had been erected over this water passageway. And, and it was, you know, if you've ever seen a beaver dam, it's got, you know, wood going all over. I mean, sticks here and there and everywhere. And you're, you're not really sure, you know, about it. And there was a, uh, apparently there was some kind of drainage system that was nearby. And so we both made a decision. We're standing there and we're looking at this thing. Thinking, now, wait a minute. We've got packs on that probably weigh about 35 pounds. And uh, we're looking at this thing and we're thinking, you know, it's awful muddy around here. And uh, I, I really don't want to fall in. But the question is, do I really want to take this route? And so we decided that we would walk along the beaver dam. We walked along the beaver dam. I was going ahead of him and I made a misstep and I fell. And he laughed at me. And I had to laugh back because, yeah, duh, here I am. I've got this pack on my back, and I'm trying to, it weighs a little bit, and I'm trying to get turned over so I can get back up. And so I got off of it. And then shortly thereafter, he started going, and the same thing happened to him. And boy, did I laugh. Woo-hoo. That was so funny. The point is, you make the commitment, and you walk the path. You play life with the cards you're dwelt. You commit yourself in a marriage and you don't really realize, you don't really realize all that it entails, but you've made the commitment and now you work and you love and you serve and you grow. You make the commitment because this person is special and unique. It's the same way with churches. We make the commitment to be involved in a church. We know we've got to be involved in a church. We know we don't want to be a solitary, long-range Christian. You know that we need the fellowship. I mean, the Bible's very clear that two are better than one, you know. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. But we make the commitment because we know that this is good for us. And sometimes... We, we become part of a church family because, I guess, hopefully, because we're getting fed spiritually. Sometimes we become part of a church because there are people there that we can identify with and we love and, and we want to you know, connect with them. Sometimes we, we identify with a church because we just love the style of worship. Sometimes we commit to a church for a lot of different reasons. And, and, and all of these reasons are good. But, but let me tell you the number one reason why you should connect with a local body of believers. It's because like you, they've heard the calling of God. And it means that they view the world and the way of life vastly different than the 
the lost world, those without Christ. I, can't, I tell you, every week I'm amazed at how crazy the decision-making is of some people. And so I either tack it up to them being completely out of the loop or completely uh, given over to an ulterior motive like greed or you know, whatever, power or whatever, and that's why they do what they do. But I should never fail to remind myself that those who are outside of Christ just have a different worldview than me. But those who are in Christ, my brothers and sisters, as crazy and as ignorant and as, you know, smelly, so to speak, as they are, they've heard the voice of God. And by the way, did you know that God did not consult you before he saved somebody else? God did not come to Pastor Craig and say, Pastor Craig, I want to save Joe over here. Do you, do you think it would be okay with you if I saved him? No, God didn't do that. God calls whomever he desires. And those who respond in faith, they're part of those who've heard the sacred calling, the sacred summons. Secondly, the commitment that we make here in Ephesians chapter 4. He gives them a, 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 a commandment here, and that commandment is to them to walk a certain way. In other words, to live their life a certain way. And notice he says that as you live out your calling here, I want you to commit to, to, to being a part of those who, save, who, who help keep the church safe. And, and I want you to commit yourself to walking in a way that, that is in concert or satisfying to my spirit. Specifically, notice what he says here in verse number 2. He says, you're to live with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is a hard thing to do, especially when you know you're right about everything. Right? <laughs> well, you can't think about that. You don't see it. You're out of your mind. You're just not smart enough. You don't recognize. I mean, listen, when you're so sure of yourself that everybody else is not, then you're not really walking in humility or gentleness. Gentleness is having power, but knowing how to keep it under control. It's another, I guess it's kind of like meekness in that sense. But I, but I want you to notice, he says, that, he says that our community living together, again, he's commanding the church now. He says, I want you in your church life, in your body of Christ life, as the church at Ephesus, understand that those who are in your church, though they did not choose where they would be born or how long they would live, they're here, they're in your church, they've heard my voice, and secondly, how do you interact with each other? He gives us a definition of how to get along. He says, walk with humility and gentleness, patience and forbearance, or bearing with one another in love. It's interesting because some people think, that if you are a humble person, that you are just weak, you know, you're milk toast, weak need. It, it's funny because it seems like those who are probably the most arrogant have this opinion, and, but they don't realize that this quality is a quality that the Lord would have us employ in our lives. 
The word that's used here for humility in classic Greek literature and in classic Greek language was a word that was used as a derogatory term. In other words, to put others down because they were subservient, they were less than, they were easily dominated. And it was a derogatory term. But, but when God touched the lives of people, he taught us that this word that is used for humility it is some of the is one of the greatest attributes of a Christian. Let me remind you that when the disciples were bickering about who would be in charge and who would be great and who could lead others, Jesus said, you must become like this little child. You must become a servant of all. It means that in our relationships with each other, we walk with not an air of arrogance. Man, the world is full of those kind of people. But we walk with a a fragrance of willingness to get along with deference to others. And again, this does not mean that you don't stand up for what's right. Matter of fact, I know some of the most humble people and meek people that I've ever met or some of the strongest people will stand for others or they'll stand against things depending on what what it is. But the reality is when we commit ourselves, we commit ourselves to people who've heard the calling and then we commit ourselves to those who need to be committed to practicing humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. And by the way, guess what? Your church members deserve an opportunity to see these fruits of the Spirit in your life. You ever thought about it like that? Why should I have to have my own way all the time, so to speak? And I'm not talking about a doctrinal issue of truth or whatever. I'm just talking about why should I have to be so arrogant that everything has to be my way? Now, obviously, in a work situation, you've got a way of doing things, and I understand that. But the reality is those who are walking with humility and gentleness are those who bring healing to the lives of others. Sometimes your fellow church members need a healing touch. Sometimes your family members need a healing touch. Listen, we all, we all make mistakes. But when we walk in a me-first attitude, and we don't consider how it affects those around us, it does great damage to the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul was concerned about the church at Ephesus. He did not want them to fracture. And he said, listen, the anecdote for the, the, the remedy uh, or, or the remedy for sin and for destruction and division is for all of you to practice these graces that will safe keep the church and will be in concert with the Holy Spirit. Let me just share with you that uh, there's one more commitment I'm hearing. So, so the first commitment, of course, is the commitment to, to, to commit yourself to the church because these are people who've heard God's calling on their life. And by the way, the Holy Spirit who inhabits you inhabits them and he can help them. 
Secondly, your commitment is to, is to commit yourself to being a part, to engaging with the church family in such a way that it, that it, that it helps maintain the peace that the Holy Spirit has and the unity that the Holy Spirit has given to the church. And we see it very specifically there in the, the maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let me say one more thing about verse number 3. We ought to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The, the verb that he uses here in verse number 3 that is translated as maintain is a word that suggests difficulty. I mean, after all, it was, if it was easy, everybody could do it, right? No, what this really means is that it's not an easy task, and I understand that. But it's an obligation to try and let God transform us and change us. So it is a tall order. It's tough. But, but if you do these things, you'll be a blessing and you'll be blessed. Thirdly, one more thing to point out here. When we make the commitment to the body of Christ because of their response to the calling of God and in order to make church a better place and to... Uh, be in concert or be in sync with the Holy Spirit. The third thing I want you to see here is that when we make that kind of commitment to the body of Christ, it amplifies and encourages and, uh, and clarifies the gospel message. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let me just say that when Paul wrote to this church, there were a number of churches, or not, not a number of churches, well, I guess there were probably some house, other house churches in Ephesus, but he was writing to all the elders of all the house churches. But in Ephesus, there existed a number of different pagan religions, and those pagan religions had a number of different gods. And as the Lord intended here, the Apostle Paul is trying to help people understand that there is just one body, that's one universal church, and there is one Holy Spirit for all of the people of God, the same Holy Spirit that indwelt you and indwells them. The same Holy Spirit that leads you, leads them. He says that, that you were called to one hope. Uh, you were all called to one hope that belongs to your call. This, this idea is that we all have the hope of, of, uh, of heaven. We all have the hope of an eventual glorification. That moment when we're transformed the trickle of an eye. That moment when we meet God face to face and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your kingdom. We all have this one hope that Christ will return. We all have this one hope and we desire it. And if you're a child of God, it's part of your life. It's something that you, you need to think about. There's one hope. Verse 5 says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, obviously, this means that there's not a whole lot of different gods out there that we are to give our allegiance to, but there's one. And the same Lord that you serve here is the same Lord that they serve in Europe if they're serving the true Lord. In other words, if I were to go to Europe or I were to go to wherever in this world, 
as I gather with the people of God, we can agree that he is Lord. Notice that it says here, there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, I want you to understand that the truth of the gospel, the gospel message is clarified. You know, when you make a commitment to, uh, to, 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 to be a part of a church because others have made the commitment to the Lord and you want to be with them, you're, you're making a commitment based on your identity. This is who I am now. And, and when you make a commitment to the, to, to the well-being, the safekeeping of the church, you're making a commitment to ministry. The first commitment is to identity. The second commitment is to ministry. And this third commitment that you're making to understand the gospel message is a, a commitment of doctrinal clarity and, and, and fruitfulness or productivity in the Lord. And you know what's interesting to me? When Jesus was with his disciples... He made this statement. He said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples. What did, what did he mean by that? Anybody want to take a shot at it? By what? By what do all people know that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ? Because we love one another. Amen. Thank you. There's something different about us. And Jesus said that to his disciples, of course, trying to tell those knuckleheads to love one another. But he also said this to help the gospel mission, that they would find mercy in Jesus Christ. And they would say, wow, there's something different about those guys, those girls. That community, they, they take care of things and, and, and they're always looking after each other. They love each other. They're sticking by each other through thick and thin. I, I, I have to just, I have to wrap this message up this morning and just tell you. I believe there are days coming in the future when your faith will be used against you. I was thinking just the other day how I think that, that Mr. Google or Miss Siri or Miss Alexa, one of those people just knows about everything about me. Uh, they, know, they know where I am. I mean, every place I go with my phone is being recorded. They probably know everything that I'm saying when nobody else is around. They probably know it. They probably know right when to ring my phone. Anybody ever had this experience where you were, you know, just out of the blue, you, you either made a call or you did something, next thing you know, you get another call? I, I have wondered to myself, this is just maybe, I don't know if, I can, if I'm a conspiracy theorist or not, but just hang with me for a moment. So, they... The AI or whatever it is, I don't know. Now I'm getting into, I know I'm treading on thin ice here, but, but bear with me for a minute. I've been talking in my phone, or not in my phone, but I've been talking about some product that I, I like. And, and the next thing I know, I'm online, and all of a sudden, boom, this ad pops up for some camping gear. Or even better than that, I just made... A move, and I came up to the church, or 
something like that. And all of a sudden, okay, this guy's at the church. So you know what? I think it's time for the salesman to call the church and ask to speak to Pastor Craig. <laughs> I mean, obviously, they could prompt through. Anyway, I know I'm getting off. I'm getting off the page here. So forgive me. What I want you to understand is that your life in Christ is no mistake. And you need God's people. And they need you, regardless of what you may think. They do need you. They're going to learn something from you, something good or something bad, but they're going to learn something from you. And when you commit yourself to the body of believers, make sure that your commitment will stand the test of time and that others will be able to say, yep, that man or that woman truly is a follower of Jesus Christ. Make sure. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 that two are better than one. How can someone stay warm unless there are two sleeping together? One of them can't be snoring, God can tell you that. The Bible says a three-folded cord is not easy to break. We need each other. And so as we think about our gift back to God and as we exercise the gifts that he's given us in the coming weeks, I want you to think, number one, commitment to the local body of believers. Serve, love, pray, and worship with one another. It'll make a difference in your life and, and really it'll make a difference in those around you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord God, help us to be a people who with joy and enthusiasm, Lord, seek to embrace you and embrace one another. Father, give us the grace to know how we can best serve you where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about First Baptist Church of Wildwood and our ministries, you can go to our website, fbcwildwood.org, our Facebook page, First Baptist Church of Wildwood, or our Instagram page, FB Wildwood. Have a great Jesus-filled day.